Welcome to the Flyover Ministry Podcast, a practical youth ministry podcast for small church leaders by small church leaders. We are grateful that you have joined us for our journey through ministry-related topics that we hope help equip and encourage you as you serve Jesus wherever you are. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm joined by two very good friends of mine, uh, Jason Holt, and uh, our guest that we're talking with today is uh, Dr. Joshua Scott. Uh, Josh is a, a fellow classmate of mine from Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. I got to know him uh, for three years uh, during our cohort out in Boston. Uh, he is the uh, youth pastor at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. I said that right, correct? You did. You got All it. All right. I, I, I will admit that I practiced that. He is serving in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Josh, I'd like you to have uh, an opportunity to introduce yourself, your family, and tell us about your church, your setting, and the kind of people that you minister to in Atlanta. Well, thanks, Dan. <clears throat> well, Second Ponce is a church uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, in a Buckhead suburb. Um, Buckhead is a pretty affluent place in Atlanta. A lot of great opportunities, a lot of ministry opportunities, and we've been there for going on three years now. I've been in youth ministry about 12 years now, um, but this is such a, an amazing assignment. My wife, Lauren, she is excited to be at Second Points as well. She co-leads the college ministry with me and is a part of our young adult ministry at Second Points. We don't have any kids as of yet. We're both trying to finish school. And, um, but we do have a dog that is laying right next to me right now, a girl boxer, Don. And man, I'm just glad to be with you, Dan and Jason. Awesome. Thanks so much, Josh, for that intro. You know, let's, let's go back. How did the Lord call you into ministry in general? And then maybe a little bit of that story from first calling into landing at, uh, at the church that you're at now. Okay, well, for me, I mean, I had some amazing parents, um, and I believe that should be the youth ministry answer, okay? Like, they were the first disciplers of myself, um, but they love God. You know, I mean, still do love God. I would wake up early in the morning, uh, not by choice, but to go to school, and I would see both of my parents reading scripture. Um, and man, I love church more than being at home. Can you believe that? I mean, I loved the way church ran, the music, the preaching. And it was to the point where my Sunday school teachers would give me homework. Mm, <laughs> I was a little awesome. nerd about church. And so, man, it was about seven. When I was seven years old, I, you know, I wanted to open my heart to Jesus and um, be mm. baptized. But, man, shortly after that, that's when I first, you know, felt the call of God on my life. Um of course, nobody else around me did, you know? And so it was like, well, what do you do with this? So I remember telling my mom, my dad, and they told my pastor, my pastor would talk to me often and we would kind of flesh some things out. But after that, um, it just kind of, I just, I lived the life of a, a regular kid, you know? Um, played sports, had fun, sung in the choir, usher, you know, did all the church things. But man, it wasn't until I was 25 mm. that I actually 
felt like this tug, like it had to happen. This is what God wanted me to do. And really, man, I began to think like maybe God like forgot and was like, okay, we're, we're not going to call Josh. And most of you all don't know, but I wanted to work for the Federal Emergency Management Agency. I was in school for that. Um, and my dad passed. And when my dad passed, I took it extremely hard. Mm. I delved into some things I should not have been delving into. And it was in that rough period of grief that I heard God the clearest ever in my life. And God told me, I'm going to use you to build my kingdom. And that's going to be your entire life. And man, I accepted it because when you hear that voice and you hear that clearly doing what I was doing at that time, you know, it's God. And so I accepted Christ, man. I went, um, it was a church. I was in Jacksonville. I went to Jacksonville state university. Um, and it was a church in Anniston, Alabama, uh, new life Christian cathedral actually man and and i i plugged in there they mm -hmm. gave me my first shot at attempting to be a youth minister we had awesome. about 23 kids at the time and man i was trying to do everything i could do you know to just be the best i could be but it was horrible like mm -hmm. i was horrible not them they were amazing um but my pastor man he continued to pour into me mm -hmm. continued to extend an opportunity to me um, and shortly, I would say after about a year, I came back to Atlanta and went to seminary and I served churches here that were connected to the seminary. And man, I, I've been serving ever since. <laughs> That's terrific. Thank you for that, Josh. If you haven't been able to pick up on this yet, uh, Josh is incredibly passionate about everything that he does. And uh, you're in for a great uh, interview here as we talk about uh, racial reconciliation in all of this. And Josh, before we get there, I'm, I know that we are in a, uh, and we talked about this before we hit record, but we are in an interesting season of ministry right now. And uh, curious if you'd give us uh, the highlights of the things that your church has been doing uh, in the midst of a COVID culture now as we enter into uh, school year and the stage of the year that we are in right now. Man, gladly. Man, like I, I said before the call, this is a challenging season, but it's also an amazing season for creativity. Um, I've watched our church come together. We did this event called Drive Through Prayers because we normally pray over the every student's book bag uh, before they go to school. But we couldn't do that this year, you know, because of COVID-19. And so they came through with their parents and their families and we just prayed, you know, we stepped up to the window with our mask on and we prayed and we also gave everybody a water bottle, you know, um, it was just a little token. And for us to just, you know, lay our eyes on, on the students and, and the children, we combined that man. And it was just so awesome to see the children, the students and the college students just come together and just, you know, in their cars. And some of them, of course, were driving themselves. And I just really loved that because it was a time where we were able to see the seeds that we've sown, they prioritize God. And to see them doing that, to see some of them come with their family, some of them drive themselves, it just made me like crazy excited, you know, for yeah. the future. Um, we're doing, we're trying to 
right now brainstorm about what does you know trick or treat look like you know what because we do this trunk fest thing where you decorate your trunks and and everybody comes around the parking lot and gets all this candy and i'm always the spokesperson because i love snickers so my <laughs> our children's ministry minister she'll be like josh you gotta make this announcement so i just get up in front of the church and say hey you like to feed me you're the reason I can't lose weight. So bring all the candy you can. I'm going to eat it. And so I usually eat it. I never dress up. I'm always the DJ. But we can't do that this year, you know? So we're brainstorming. What does that look like? Um, and our children's minister is, is creative in the sense that she's like, okay, well, we're going to come up with these little packs to give to each, each you know, family. Um, and they kind of do a scavenger hunt around their house. Likewise, our youth ministry. We're, um, I'm sending them letters that got some t-shirts made, well, long sleeve t-shirts because, you know, we're going into the fall. Um, and it has Psalm 91 and 2 that talks about God is our refuge. That's our youth ministry's name, student ministry's name is refuge, you know, because we want them to, wherever they go to be able to know that they can always return to God and God is there and God will be their refuge. And so we're doing stuff like that for our college students, man, we, we're talking to them all the time. Um, whether it be on social media or through our contemporary service that does focus on multi-ethnicity and work, worshiping together and racial reconciliation. And so, man, we are moving, being creative, pivoting quickly, and trying not to lose all of our hair at the mm. same time. <laughs> well, you're in good company there. Quick question, <laughs> when does fall start in Georgia? <laughs> Listen. It just got like 72 degrees, and now everybody's like, we got to pull out the coats. Pull out the coats. Like, you see, look, I have long sleeves on, okay? Yep. Like, the wind blows, and we say, it's fall. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, uh, you're breaking our hearts I would hearts say here. probably, man, 1st of October. That's what I'm going to oh. say. I, I'm giving you a hard time with your long sleeve t-shirt comment. Listen, I know, <laughs> compared to you all. <laughs> Listen, I always say to myself, when it's cold, I just think about Jason and Dan, and I say, I will not complain. <laughs> <laughs> That's good of you. That's good of you, Josh. You know, you've described well for how God has called and how God has uh, led you. Um, I, I want us to dive into race and racial reconciliation in the church, but I think it'll help our listeners to understand your current, how long you've been at your current church and, and some of the dynamics, if you'd be willing to describe that for us. Well, most definitely, man. Well, I've been at our um, second points going on three years now. And second points, like I said, is in a, a very affluent part of, of Atlanta. Uh, the movers and the shakers reside in Buckhead. Um, a lot of great businesses um, and a lot of private, you know, schools and families, you know, live there. And that is so amazing. Um, but my context when I began was mostly Caucasian. Um, I only <laughs> thought about coming to Second Punch because my seminary professor, one of my favorite seminary professors, uh, became the pastor at the church. And he called me one day and said, I'm looking for a youth pastor, man. Would you like to, you know, come? And I, and, and I came and the first time I came to just worship to see, I said, this is a beautiful building, but 
I, I don't think I would fit in here, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so, and not just because I'm an African-American male, but just, you know, I was, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a son of the black church. Like I say, you know, mm -hmm. the son, and, and black church for me was vibrant. Um, a lot of tradition. Um, and this was a whole, it was a high church. And I was like, man, I don't know. Um, so initially in my mind, I said, it's, it's probably not going to be a fit. And God continued to say second punch was it. Mm -hmm. um, I was amazed because I was like, God, this is not um, my, my comfort. Uh, this is not my wheelhouse. So I don't know if the people would be open to my, the difference I bring. Mm -hmm. And boy, God has done some amazing things in these years. Mm -hmm. that have blown my mind. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, you know, so you, you talk about context-wise, I have watched people that are like 85 wrap their arms around my wife, Lauren, and I. Mm -hmm. um, I have also had some hard times with students mm -hmm. um, who have used racial slurs, not at me, mm -hmm. but at, you know, at, at some... Um, celebrities and politicians, and we had to learn from that. Yeah. Um, I have seen recently a an older woman by the name of Mrs. Susan Gordy. And, oh, I hope I don't cry. <laughs> she mm -hmm. passed away, but I watched her come and support every single thing that we did with our students, with All Together, um, and I have just seen God cross cultures, cross that barrier, and it has made me hunger mm -hmm. to be more of that bridge in our society and especially in the church. Yeah. Because if you watch older people relinquish prejudice and hatred for love, then I know that our future is brighter than what people are saying on the news. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and Josh, that's why we want to talk to you, because we love hearing how the Lord has done that. I mean, you described that really well. There was the church culture itself that was different, and then the racial, racial culture that was different. And so there was multiple layers to this, and three short years, yeah. and watching how God has done this. Uh, we, we praise the Lord for how he's been at work. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's beyond me. You know, I, I think a lot of people, they think if you're some type of charismatic leader, if you have a way with the words, you know, oh, yeah, you can just get anybody to like you. In our climate, in society, that's not true. Um, and God has to have open heart surgery on us. And God had to relieve, relieve me and, re, and help rid me of some of my prejudices, which was if it was not an African-American context, I wasn't sure if I needed to be there. And God, you know, continued to tell me, hey, Matthew 28, remember that word all in the Great Commission. Remember that, yeah. you know. <laughs> in Revelation 7, verse 4, we will all be around <laughs> the mm -hmm. throne worshiping God. And, and it was those things that just kind of made me, in a sense, be a fool for Christ. Mm -hmm. Because at this time where police brutality is rising and, and so many racial events and acts of hatred, why in the world 
Joshua would you go be in a very mixed now congregation because God called me there? That's my answer. Yeah. It's a great reminder that the kingdom of God is, is not limited and it goes to all the world. You know, That's God right. sends us into every corner. And uh, interesting to see that dynamic in the book of Acts as, you know, it goes from Jews into Gentiles. And why them? <laughs> God, God said so. And the spirit right. is given to them. And who are we to argue? Peter's like, not me. It's the Holy Spirit. Like, take it up with him. And everyone's like, oh, <laughs> praise God. You know, that, praise God they received and believed. But, you know, there's, there's so much, I think, more speaking from a, a Lutheran church context and perspective in West Central Minnesota. Um, we often get, I think, uh, a little bit of presumptuous on, we don't really have a lot of diversity in our churches. It's primarily Caucasian people. Uh, but, you know, you take a look at the demographics in, in your city, and I think your city is a lot more diverse than you may realize. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a challenge of being able to uh, address issues that we see in our culture, especially now uh, with the culture we're living in with not just police brutality, uh, but with racism. And um, you want to be able to handle this well and handle this carefully. So I, I, the question that I would have for you here in hearing your church setting, hearing what your ministry is like, uh, seeing some of the challenges, and you've touched on it already, but uh, in your role with dealing with students and college age uh, students as well, how have you talked with them about uh, these issues and uh, the social activism that we're seeing in the news right now? <clears throat> Great question. Um, first off, I want to say, I always preface it one as this. I say, even if you are in a homogeneous environment based on skin color, you are not in a homogeneous environment based on thoughts, actions, yeah. perspectives. Hmm. So I let it, I let everybody know that like diversity is happening all around you, whether you acknowledge it or not. None of us are the same. And then as far as we deal with issues, I go, I address the elephant. I don't walk around it. You know, I tell them, hey, man, you know, if I see something on the news, why would I not say something about it? Because it's on TikTok, it's on Instagram, it's on, it, they're listening to podcasts about it. So who am I to walk up on Wednesday or Sunday and say, okay, turn to Matthew chapter three. We're just going to talk about this, you know, because it's on their minds already. They, they, when we look, when we, when they came in the door, they were rapping with somebody about it, you know, so I just go for it. Um, what I do is I ask their views first, whether, no matter how bad it is, I have some people in my youth group, they're going to say, this was horrible. Some people are going to say, I didn't even know that happened. Some people are going to say, yeah. I really don't see that much wrong with it. But what I've learned is they are all still students. They're, they're students, they're children, like that can be influenced and can be opened up to learning better ways forward. And so I say, well, hey, once I hear their views, they'll, they'll ask me, what's your view of it? I'll say, well, I don't think, you know, this situation is honoring the humanity of another individual. And, I, and if we are believers, which we are in this room, then we have to believe what happened in Genesis 1 and 27 that told us we were all made in the image of God. 
Yeah. So I start there. Like, I, I don't even go into the parables and the Ethiopian unit. I don't even have to go. I just want to talk about the Imago Dei, the image of God. And then we talk about, we go from there and we talk about, you know, how do we treat that? How do we honor that image? How do we, you know, what does that look like daily? Because we're talking about this spiritual matter, but it has practical means. So let's talk about that. And so we go, hey, well, I could have, I saw somebody messing with a Latino or a Latinx, you know, person at my school, and I could have said something, but I didn't. Great. Let's lean into that. Let's read it. Let's 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 react that right here in our youth room and our youth space. And we 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 act it out. And you know, and then once all that is done, what does God say about this? Because I told you Genesis 1 27, but how is this lived out? And then, you know, we talk about what it, what does it mean to be light? Because I think so much like as youth workers, man, I I think we all, we have knowledge of the scriptures, but we speak in church language to a culture that doesn't know that language, you know, and really yeah. is not interested in learning that language. So how can we take it from the top shelf and put it on the bottom shelf? And so that's where I go, you know, and, um, but I think the biggest thing, Dan, is they got to know how to honor each other's humanity. Yeah, like, yeah. just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I hate you, you know? And what's, and I'm going to be, I'm going to say this, and it's the truth. And so, some members of my youth group, they go to private institutions for the controlled environment. So they're not really always used to dealing with people who are different and bring different views than they do. So they don't know how to deal with that. We can differ and not hate each other. Yeah. Have you now speaking as a millennial, as you have this discussion with uh, your peers and people our age, have you seen any significant differences in how Gen Z uh, or iGen handles this kind of conversation? Oh my God, yes. Um, Gen Z is going to change the world. Hmm. I, I, with, I don't know how to say this to some of my parents, but your prejudices, they, it, it won't get passed down to them. It's so funny to me to, to follow some parents on Facebook and hear them talk about the same issue that their child is talking about on Instagram, and they're on polar opposite sides of the spectrum. And I never say anything about it, but I, I just laugh to myself like, you really think you're passing this down to them, and it will not work i've seen generation z literally crave diversity like when we started all together it filled with generation z like it was like <laughs> this is what we want and it's like man and i mean you're seeing white you know white students black students asian students and it's like and they walk up and they're like hey you know back when we could hug and shake hands and would do it just Hey man, I'm good. Hey, what's up, man? Fist bump. And they crave that compared to millennials. We were like, okay, well, we are supposed to act this way at this time. This is what they've shown us, you know. Hello, how are you, Jason? You know, but they are just, they're very authentic. They want diversity. And I've seen that the world's problems, like this whole race matter, it doesn't mean that to them. They they really are into saying we can just honor everybody's humanity and the biggest thing that i've noticed is that our generation we were so hung up on you know homosexuality or not you know how, how do you how do you navigate that they're like hey 
yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a straight guy. You know, my homeboy here, he's gay. That's his thing. It's all good, you know. <laughs> and, and, and I'm still friends with him. We game together, you know. And they just don't have the barriers that we we pay. And I see that difference, which, again, makes me hopeful. It seems like millennials had the idea of what we wanted to change, and the Gen Z has the hands and feet to get it done. That's it. We would get in our huddles. Hey, man, you see what's happening? Hey, I think we should do this in the church, but don't say this too loud. They're like, <laughs> hey, let's do it. Like, you want to do it tomorrow? Like, <laughs> and I think that that has been so encouraging for me to attempt to lead them, you know, mm -hmm. because what I have to learn is I can't sit on my hands, you know. Um, I can't just sit by and say, well, you know, We'll get to it in two weeks. They're looking for action, and you have to mobilize the vision that you say. So, Dr. Scott, as you describe that, I'm just really intrigued about the parent piece of that, because your example of the parents who may be trying to create a controlled environment, parents who may have polar opposite views, whether ideologically or otherwise, I'm just thinking about that youth leader who's seeing what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. Teens are going one way. Parents are diametrically opposite. Coach us through that building bridges with parents and equipping parents to see what you just described. Well, the first thing I tell them is, you know, I always talk when I have parent meetings. I send weekly emails to my parents. I, I send them the books that I'm reading. I just finished a book by, um, it's Generation Z Unfiltered. Um, I forget who it's by, um, but man, it, it rocked my world. And I sent it to them, you know, I don't, but I also sent it to them that if they see that or the youth leader that does see that and they bring that up, I like to talk to the parents and say, hey, don't worry about it. You know, this is the generation that, we, that does things differently, okay? Um, and this, and I divorce my political preference, any other preference, I divorce that because it's not my agenda. It's about that child or that student at that time. Um, and so then I like to let the parents know, hey, it's okay. You know, um, they're forming. You know, you are an older person. You form your ideals and your perspectives. They're trying to form theirs. And they're in the adolescent phase where their brain is is trying to form. And so I said, they're gonna think differently and that's okay, you know? And what, what I do is I say, hey man, I would love to walk with you. And I tell the youth leaders, hey, how can we walk with this, past this, um, to understand that what we think is a controlled environment is actually not. Yeah. Now that's hard, I wanna pause right there. Because that's when I say, I see the face go from smiles to what in the world, you know? Because a lot of them have paid a lot of money for their child to be in this controlled environment. And what I have to do sometimes is, you know, be the hands and feet of Christ. And even Jesus had to dispel the myths of sometimes the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. And so what I do is I then say, you know, the internet made all of us closer. The world is too globalized for you to stay in a bubble. It is. <laughs> You said it, and that's and and that way is what I would say. You know that the bubble you have worked hard to create has shattered, not because of you, 
but because of the world we live in. And I, and then I, you know, we dialogue, man, well, why is the world this way, Josh? Why? Hey, I have no clue, but we must teach them to navigate this world. We cannot act as if this culture does not exist. And so what do we do? We keep rocking, we keep traveling. And we, we say, you know, this is what they should do. And we, you know, they, they present situations and I, I say, well, hey, think about it this way. And we have a dialogue that happens, not short, it's long and it's constant, you know? And so I think that that's what youth workers, volunteer, staff, pastors, or just have to learn to do. You gotta teach them how to navigate culture because cultures around them, culture is in their pocket. <laughs> so, I mean, what are we gonna do? Yeah. That's so good. So I wanna shift here a little bit, um, just saying something that I've observed in my own context. Uh, this is uh, the statement of Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. And, uh, you know, scrolling through Facebook and somebody had shared like, well, yeah, Black Lives Matter, but so do all lives matter. That's what we're saying, not just black, white, Asian, you know, whatever ethnicity you are. And the comments that were posted uh, made me close the app and I said, I am going to take some time and pray because that was, everybody just jumped, no, black lives are the, the, the point here. So I, I'm wondering from your perspective as a pastor, as uh, someone who's really hands-on in this, what has been your approach on the two different statements, all lives matter versus the Black Lives Matter movement? Man, again, <laughs> you don't want to address it, you know, um, because of the comments that you see. You hate that you have to address it because of the hateful actions which have led us to this point. But I tell people this, don't politicize something that God said first. <laughs> I tell them, I, I say it all the time. Like, they're like, well, you know, Black Lives Matter is made by so-and-so vision. And I think they're this. And I think they're, okay, you give them that label. I understand. But Jesus died for all of us first. <laughs> all lives mattered in Genesis 1 and 27 at our creation. Yeah. <laughs> so Black Lives <laughs> Matter, even though we don't want to, you know, spiritualize the moment, took a page from God's book to get its ideal. <laughs> and yeah. so I don't, you know, I don't get off into the whole, you know, well, their founders, this, their so-and-so, check this out, your savior believed <laughs> that yes, black lives matter, white lives matter, Latino lives matter, Asian lives matter, and every bit of his creation matter. Now, the moment, that's what you're talking about, Dan, the moment, at this moment in time, Black lives have experienced. We're, we're on the we're on we're highlighted at this moment because of the injustices of the world. So, what does Scripture tell us? If you have need for wisdom, go to God. <laughs> yeah. So right now, the wisdom is even though yes, all lives do matter. The highlighted injustice is happening to black people with black skin. Yeah. So therefore, I must highlight right now that black lives matter. But that is no disruption to say that your life doesn't matter either. 
-hmm. It's not a stone thrown at your head saying, I matter more than you. It's just saying to a people that we have not been able to be celebrated, like our Imago Day has been overlooked, then I must stand with, in solidarity with my brothers and sisters if I'm white or if I'm of any other ethnicity and proclaim that yes, Black Lives Matter. This is not a politicized thing. It's just like the mask and stuff like that. It's not, it's not a political movement. You gotta divorce the people and, and capture the message. And this message came from the Bible first. And so divorce all of that and you will get God saying, every one of us, we do matter. And when I put it that way, I don't have any pretty, you know, too much of an issue. You know, some people, you know, they still gonna say, Josh, but you know, da 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 da. Well, hey, tomato, tomato. It's okay. I still love you. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is so good. It is. It is, it is so terrific, Josh, on how you're able to get to the layer beneath on it. And, and I think that's what a lot of our youth leaders are wrestling with, is they want to get to that layer beneath. So it is a core discussion about God's design, about imaginal Deo, about seeing things clearly, being uh, bearers of creation in humanity and, and seeing all that and and knowing that you're a hoops star from the past and a hoops fan what is, what is uh, i'm just curious you know the nba playoffs going on and the um you know equality and respect i've i've valued some of the things that have been out there what particularly has grabbed your attention in that trajectory Man, I hope I don't cry again, man. It, it was so beautiful. My first one is from a player who I wish the Lakers would have gotten, and David Stern is, I'm still mad at him, and that was Chris Paul. I wanted Chris Paul to play with Kobe Bryant, but David stopped the trade, and he denied Kobe his last ring. But, I, but you're not here to ask for that, okay? But, uh, <laughs> but let me tell you, man, I love seeing him wear, like he went to Wake Forest, he's, you know, played basketball there, but he was wearing so many HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, their, their you know, their clothing and, and just really publicizing the schools. And I loved that he not only did it for the bigger HBCUs, he did it for the very, those who are smaller in size. I loved it. Um, I love that. I loved when the players decided not to play. Hmm. Now, some people say, Josh, oh my God, that's radical. Explain it to me. I will. These men and women for the mm -hmm. WNBA, my mm -hmm. wife would love that because I, I made sure to say that. Good job. Um, Got it. No, it's the truth because <laughs> it is. both leagues, they stood up. And I loved it in the words of LeBron James. They show that they are more than an athlete. Mm -hmm. That's big because they are. Mm -hmm. These black men and women or white men and women or any, all, all of these players, when they put on a jersey, they play for whomever. But once they take that jersey off, they are regular people. Like they can go out here, they can get stopped by the police, beat down, hung, whatever. So I loved it that they stood up and said, okay, we're going to use our platform for more than just putting a ball in a hoop, but we're going to use our platform to bring awareness towards something. Mm. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was awesome. Some people don't like that they're playing now. I love that they're playing now because mm. it shows us that 
We have contracts. That's a real thing. <laughs> it shows us that money on the line, yes, is a real thing. But it also shows us that we wanted to bring awareness and the marathon is continuing. This is not a, a one-time event like George Floyd did not, you know, he, he's not the first person to die. Trayvon died and uh, Ahmaud Arbery died. I mean, this, so you can't expect one action to eradicate all of racism. But what they did was they said, we're going to do our part. And I loved it. And I, I think that it's just so amazing. And I think that we're seeing not only, we're seeing all people be excellent. You're seeing, like, you got to look at it scientifically and medically. Look at, look at the players. They're not catching the coronavirus. That's a win. That's a small victory. You're seeing people wear shirts and say Black Lives Matter. That's a victory. You're seeing people wear, the, have the nickname equality and vote. That's a victory. You know, and so I'm looking at it like, man, they're, they're using this platform to bring awareness, but guess what? To actually help the world in some way try to come together. I guess that's what strikes me. I appreciate how you describe that because in the same way that we say, say their names about remembering mm -hmm. the athletes taking that action makes it part of a longer conversation. Mm -hmm. And so for, you know, the Christian athlete to, I know some Christian athletes who handle it one way or the other, but they were all seeking to draw attention to the reality of, all people being created in the image of God, and the reality that um, that needs to have dignity and respect extended to to people. Yeah. 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 If I've learned anything in these years, it doesn't happen quickly. Yeah. It takes time. As Eugene Peterson would say, it's a long obedience in the same direction. It's interesting to see uh, the layers of conversation and the you know, not just in basketball, but in, in baseball. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had the Twins uh, here as Minnesota sports fans. We had them cancel a game with Detroit. And the reaction from that, why do you have to politicize this? Why do you have to make a statement? You're here to play baseball. You're here to play sports. Let, just get on with the game. You don't need to make some big statement out of it. Mm -hmm. they're, they're using the platform that they have, and they all believe that this is a, a good move. and um, if it continues the conversation, you know, that's great, I, I think. Now, what kind of conversation you're having, is it helpful or is it beneficial? That's another part. But I think that's on us as leaders in the church to be able to guide that in, in a direction pointing back to the Imago Dei, right? Mm -hmm. The image of God. This is the issue that we're facing. And they, you know, have every right to use the platform that they have as they see fit. I mean, you can hold a press conference. But one press conference isn't going to necessarily change the world. It's true. Very true. A lot of people watching the games, not a lot of people watching the press conference is all I'll That's say. That's right. That's right. I go to sleep during those most times. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think, Josh, at that point, it leads us to ask, you know, what's something you've been reading or pondering that it may be on – uh, racial reconciliation, but it may be something beyond that. Uh, what's what's currently on your head and heart? Tim Elmore, by the way, is the author of that book. That's and, it. Sure is. Man, I have our our church now has uh, deemed me to lead a small group on the color of compromise by Jamar Tisby. Um, 
which is, you know, it's, it's an amazing book. I've, I've been leading a group once a month. If any of you want to join that, feel free. It's only once a month. And we just had one meeting. Um, and I've, I've also been rereading The Roadmap to Reconciliation by Brenda Salter McNeil. <clears throat> and I have also just started listening to a book, if you really want to delve into a very hard book, challenging book, will almost put you in tier type of book. It's pretty long. It's called Stamped from the Beginning. And it's by Ibram Kennedy. I hope I said his name right. But it's, it's, it's powerful. And it just talks about... Um, just how the negative stereotypes and connotations of African-American people and people of color, how they have been furthered throughout our history. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Josh, um, as we wrap up our time here, I, I want to give you an opportunity here. If you have any words of encouragement or, or advice for us as we uh, continue on into whatever tomorrow or the rest of today has in store for us, is there anything you want to impart with those listening? Well, to everyone listening, first off, thank you. Um, second off, I would say, man, if you're a youth worker, you are so important to the world, not just your local church. You help to shape and form future, the future generation to become whatever God may have them to be. Take your work seriously. If you're a senior pastor, man, go down <laughs> to the youth area more than once a year. Learn from them, talk to them without any agenda. And I promise you'll get to see what the world's gonna look like in a, in a few years, you know? Um, to anybody that may be saying, man, I'm, you know, this coronavirus has really got me to a point where I really wanna quit. And I, I'm tired, you know, I, I want to let youth ministry go. Don't. Because your work is meaningful. Your work is needed. And your work is important. It's a good word, Josh. Thank if you so much, Josh. If people want to find you, Josh, uh, I know that I, I didn't mention this at the beginning, but Josh hosts a podcast. Uh, called Altogether Unplugged. And if you want to find them, they are on Spotify and iTunes. You know, feel free to look there. Uh, you can follow me on um, pretty much every social media platform at JWScott4444 and just Joshua Scott on Facebook, man. Thanks so much uh, for your time, for the great uh, piece of advice and uh, just insight into this uh, subject matter. Uh, appreciate your time and uh, Pray that God continues to bless your ministry there at, at Ponce de Leon. Hey, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Flyover Ministry. You can find, follow, and give feedback on our Instagram or Facebook pages at Flyover Ministry. You can find other episodes that we've recorded on Spotify and iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And please feel free to share these episodes with a friend. Thanks again so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.